Welcome to the Momentum Coaching Podcast. I'm a firm believer that momentum comes from knowledge and success. And I hope today's podcast episode adds another piece to your toolbox that helps build momentum in your coaching. So I'm here with Coach Kristen Shafshunis, and she is a confidence coach. So I reached out to her. Um, I, I reached out to her specifically. The question I had in my mind was, um, I want to help my female athletes more. Um, Coach Kristen works with everybody, uh, guys and girls. So we're just going to have a conversation today about um, what it means to be a confident athlete. How do you build confidence in your athletes and uh, the work that she does? So Kristen, how did you get into confidence coaching? Well, this is kind of a long story, so I'll try to make it as short as possible. But, you know, I do come from the swimming world. I, you know, swam and then I coached for 16 years, 13 of them as a college coach. Um, 02 to 06, I was the assistant coach at SMU with with Steve Collins. Um, While I was there, I mean, honestly, out of those 16 years, those four years with Steve were some of my favorite years of coaching. And the reason that they were my favorite is because, you know, we had a family there. Um, We were really good. And because um, Steve and I had a beautiful relationship because we were complete opposites. Um, Steve was the type of coach that really loved swimming, probably like you, like things kind of swimming and technique and things like that 24 seven where I'm way more of a coach where I'm thinking about, you know, the women and their confidence and, you know, helping them with life outside of sport and stuff like that. So anyway, the way I look at my time at SMU is Steve took care of the swimmer, or excuse me, Steve took care of the swimming. I took care of the women. Right. And it worked beautifully. I mean, we had a lot of success there. And the cool part was like Steve and I knew our gifts. We stayed in our lane. We weren't threatened by each other. It just, was beautiful. But then when I became the head coach, uh, at the university of Miami in 06, I thought, Ooh, now I'm a head coach. Now I need to be Steve. Now I need to think swimming 24 seven. Right. Cause that's what head coaches do. And so, um, embarrassed to say it took me four years of failing to figure out that it wasn't working. And so, you know, kind of stopped blaming everybody else and took a hard look at myself through some mentors around me, some coaches, you know, and, um, they were like, well, what are you good at? And I was like, I don't remember because I failed for four years. I don't know. And they said, yeah. well, what made you a great assistant coach? I said, well, that's easy. I took care of the women. And they were like, well, that's what you need to do. And I was like, but that's not what head coaches do. <laughs> and they're like, hey, you can keep doing the same thing, you know, but uh, so anyway, I took that on. And so I, you know, hired assistants that thought swimming 24 seven. And I was able, not that I completely handed the program over to them, but you know, I was able to at least start taking care of the women. I offered them, you know, meetings every week, every two weeks, things like that to come in, just talk things out, things like that. I loved my job again because wasn't really loving it those four years of failing. Um, but also in that failing realized it wasn't the swimming that I was so passionate about, though I do love this sport. You know, it was, it was the women. And so in 13, um, took a very big risk and walked away from college coaching thought about doing something like this, but didn't really know if it was realistic. And, you know, I had been coaching for 15 years straight at that point and I wasn't good about taking care of myself or taking vacation. So spent a year kind of, you know, 
probably, you know, just kind of taking a break, honestly, but then got a call from uh, David Marsh back when he was with SwimMac with Team Elite. Um, I went and uh, spent a year there with him and, and with Team Elite working with them, um, you know, helping them prepare for 16. Um, and then in 16 decided, hey, ready to start this business. So, you know, now I work one-on-one with athletes um, and I go around and speak to athletes, coaches, um, and people in the business world, you know, about confidence. So that's kind of a long story, but um, that's how I got into it. No, that's awesome. I think, uh, you know, the longer you coach, the more you realize what you really like about it. Yeah. Um, And the longer you coach, you know, the less you want to do the things that you don't love about it. For sure. You know, when I, when I first started coaching, I was like the coffee boy for our head coaches. That was the only way I could get them to take me to big meets with them. It was like, (laughs) I was like the gopher guy. And like, if you ask me to do that now, I don't know about that. I think I'll stay back on this one. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, going back to your time at SMU, when you were an assistant, like, what does that look like on a day to day when, when the head coach is doing more of the swimming and you're, you're coaching, like you're, you're going after the minds, right? Like hearts and minds. So like, what does that look like in a practice setting? Cause I'm sure there's a ton of assistants uh, like you. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think um, a lot of one-on-one stuff, that's mm-hmm. where I think my greatest gifts are is, you know, with the one-on-one stuff. So it's, you know, when people are really struggling, Hey, let's go over here and talk or, Hey, let's go grab breakfast, you know, and, and go talk. So it was a lot of, you know, just one-on-one time, with them where they were able to come into a trusted person and be able to just speak truth about what's really going on in their life. Yeah. I think, um, you know, your approach is, is probably opposite of mine and a lot of coaches. Like, uh, when I think about one-on-ones, I'm like, how am I supposed to fit in the time for all these one-on-ones? Right. Yep. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned truth here, not through your content and social media and the things you've talked about. I feel like truth comes up often yeah. in, in your approach. Like what is, what does truth have to do with confidence? Well, I think confidence always revolves around truth. I mean, when you, you know, when I really try to define what confidence is, you know, the way I describe it is having nothing left to hide. Um, meaning that you are not, you know, th- that you're being honest about what you're struggling with. You're being honest about your weaknesses and you're having the humility and the, passion to get better to actually work on those things right I'm very you know so much of my business is working on the pressure moments right Mm -hmm. those are scary let's get honest about that so we can do something about it but I also think you know a huge piece of confidence you know isn't you know it's having nothing left to hide so being honest with yourself about the weaknesses and what you're struggling with but it's also being honest about your strengths and what you're great at which I will say I see a big difference between men and women on this because I think women, you know, I think we all know if a man stands up and says, hey, I'm really good at something, everybody's like, oh, wow, good for you. He's so confident. And then a woman's like, I'm really good at this, you know, and it's, you know, we get the roll of the eyes like, wow, who does she think she is? So we have learned as women to step out of our light. We have learned to make other people comfortable because the worst thing in the world that a woman can be called is arrogant or cocky, right? And so a huge piece of confidence is also really standing in your light 
and speaking truth and not, you know, trying to make other people comfortable or worrying, Oh God, do they think I'm arrogant or cocky? I can't tell you how many times, you know, I hear things like, you know, Hey, I don't want to sound cocky, but I won that event. I'm like, (laughs) how is that cocky? Like that's just truth. Right. So truth, I believe when you're hiding, you're faking it, you know, this whole fake it till you make it. I think, you know, just sugarcoating the truth doesn't work. I think, Let's be honest and, and honestly have the courage to be honest with yourself, which is a huge piece of confidence, which very few people have courage to do, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the fake it till you make it saying is, I feel like it's starting to run out. You know, it was really in the culture for a good bit. Um, sure. I think cause there was that Ted talk about it. Am I right? I think it was like a, she was a body language coach. I think I saw the Ted talk, but that was a big part of it like the whole fake it till you make it thing. So, you know, when you're talking about female and male athletes, do you think, do you think there's a difference there because female athletes care way more about what other people think about them when they say things and like male athletes, just not as much like, you know, they're going to say it. And when they say something, it's a standalone object. Like I'm good at this end of story. And like when a female athlete says I'm good at this, they're like, I wonder if my friend Victoria thinks I'm telling her she's bad at this. Like, do you see, do you think that's part of the reason why that's hard? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you know, I've started working with a lot more men, you know, in the last year and you know, when it comes to the pressure moments and things like that and the fear and the doubts and stuff like that, I've been, I've been quite, I wouldn't say shocked. Well, yeah, I guess a little bit shocked in how willing men are to be honest about that. So like, you know, when it comes to the pressure situations, we're all pretty much in the same boat, you know, with the fear and the doubts and things like that. I don't see a huge difference between men and women, but you know, um, obviously our, we live very different lives. We have very different perspectives, you know, society, social media, all of that stuff. That's where things different differ, I believe, with with men and women. And let me say, I really did kind of have a a vision of, you know, men are so much simpler, you know, men are, you know, it's, you know, they must not struggle as much and things like that. But I'm totally wrong on that because I, you know, I work with plenty of men who aren't very simple, you know, and they have complex thoughts, you know, as well and and struggle just as much. So it's, um, it's been eye opening. Yeah. So what are some of your questions that you ask to kind of get the truth out? Cause sometimes I, when I talk to my athletes, I, I think I know the answer. So I'm asking questions where I'm like leading the witness, Sure. You know? but like, what kind of questions do you ask to get the, get the truth to come out to what's holding them back or what's getting in the way of their confidence? Yeah. Well, I mean, first thing with swimmers, first place I go is, you know, what are you thinking when you're behind the blocks, you know, getting ready to race? Because, you know, we know as swimmers, that's the scariest place in the world because the spotlight is on you and there is nobody there to help you, right? Like I always say, yeah, you're part of a team, but when you're standing on those blocks, this is very much an individual sport and you are on your own, right? And you either get it done or you don't, you get that cut or you don't, you get that time or you don't, you are feeling that pressure to perform. I'm like, what's going through your mind in that moment? And, you know, I've asked that question thousands and thousands of times now, because I ask it when I go around and speak. And then, you know, when I work 
one-on-one and, you know, 99% of what I hear back is pretty scary stuff. And so it's, it's really starting to get honest with yourself about those thoughts so you can actually do something about it because the whole fake it till you make it, you know, every time you're like, Hey, everybody, I'm fine over here. You know, everything's fine. You can't do anything to help yourself, you know? So that's why I think confidence revolves around truth. Cause you have to have the courage to be honest with yourself or yeah, to be honest with yourself, to help yourself and to help you reach those big goals that you have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when an athlete stands behind the blocks and they say, um, and I, I hear this more from female athletes, but sometimes it revolves around disappointing someone else, oh, whether 100%. it's their parents or the one that kills me is when they say me like, and yeah. I don't always hear it straight from the athlete. Like I'll hear it from the parent. They're like, well, they really don't want to disappoint you. And I'm like, what did I say? Yeah. Um, uh, so if somebody tells you like, Hey, I'm really scared of disappointing X, Y, and Z. How do we help our athletes through worrying about disappointing others because of how they perform? Yeah. Well, I think the, you know, what I, I, I talk about the what ifs, right. And what if I disappoint coach? What if I disappoint my parents, which by the way, are ones I hear from every athlete out there. So yes, coaches, yeah. you know, your swimmers, your athletes are afraid to disappoint you. Absolutely. Um, but you know, a, what if, what that's, what a, what if really is, is, you know, when we're feeling vulnerable at a competition, um, and we start feeling, you know, as humans, when we start to feel vulnerable, we just want to start controlling everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we start realizing how little control we have, our brain kind of starts thinking, Hey, if I know what's going to happen, then I'll feel a little bit more in control, right? And so we start going through all these scenarios of what is going to happen because it does. It just makes you feel a little bit more in control. But the problem with trying to go through all these scenarios, you know, I always say there's two problems. Number one, you're not a fortune teller. You don't have a crystal ball. You don't know. You can't predict the future. You don't know. And number two, unfortunately, when we do try to predict how things are going to go, often we end up going worst case scenario. Right. I always say nobody's walking in going, what if this is the greatest day of my life? What if everything goes right? We're thinking about everything that can go wrong, you know, and when we start thinking about everything that can go wrong, it gets pretty scary and it's very easy to panic. (laughs) So I think in those moments of what if, what if, what if, I think the simplest way to bring them back is what can you control right now? Because, you you know, and honestly, you know, I I really ask two questions in those moments, if we're going to, you know, to keep it as simple as possible. What do I know now? And what can I control now? And when you honestly ask yourself those questions behind the blocks and answer them, honestly, right, when you're having that little conversation in your head, you know, um, talking to yourself through it, that gets you into, I think, the present. Because, you know, the future is going to bring anxiety every single time going through all the different scenarios. You know, the problem when you're nervous, your brain doesn't want to be present. The last place your brain wants to be is present. It either wants to, you know, go into the past and remind you of all your failures, or it wants to jump into the future and go through, you know, different scenarios of failure, you know? So it is truly an intentional decision to get yourself into the present and focused in on what you can control in that moment. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's great. You know, I would have said, 
I, you know, my mind went to like changing the what ifs to like, what if this went great? But I, I think what you're saying is like the right here, right? It's like, get out of, get out of, get out of five minutes from now. It's like, what are we doing? What are we doing right now? So as far as t- being in the present, is that um, like, do you help athletes, whether it's with mantras or um, what are they called? Uh, like affirmations and stuff. Yeah, yeah, mantras, affirmations, but also like procedures you do before me. The word's not procedures. Jeez, I can't remember the word. You know, it's like I'm gonna listen to this song five minutes before. I'm gonna sit down quietly. It's the uh, the, the like steps. rituals or Ritual, the routine. There we go. Okay, routine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. I don't know. Why I lost that. Well, I think routine is huge, um, h- huge in this because I mm-hmm. think I I kind of look at. Um, I actually really started working when Natalie Hines and I started working together, we really worked on a routine because I, I explained it. Like when you have a routine for warm up, you know, what time you put your suit on, you know, what you do, you know, before you race and stuff like that, I kind of look at it as you're dropping little breadcrumbs. Right. And so when you have your routine and you know exactly what to do, and then when you start to get super nervous and your brain starts, you know, kind of shutting down, which is easy to do when you're kind of panicky, you can go back and just pick up those, you know, those breadcrumbs so it you know you're doing what you need to do even when you're feeling a little chaotic you know in that in that moment um but let me let me talk about affirmations and and mantras because and the well what if this goes great and things like that yeah so it was actually uh Haley Flickener that was the first person to admit this to me many years ago. She's like, look, that's what I've been taught my whole life, you know, to stand behind the blocks. Like I will swim fast today. I will get my cut today, or I will go this time today or something like that. But there, she said, you know, there was always a problem because down deep, she didn't actually believe it. And again, truth. Right. And so I'm such a big, yes, I am such a big believer that if you're trying to con yourself into believing something or lie to yourself, it ain't going to work. Right. So this has to be very real, like where you put your focus in that moment, you have to believe it down deep. Yeah. So, you know, when you're working with an athlete who has like specific goals and, you know, we have a couple athletes here who, man, they love goals. Like they have this thing written in multiple rooms around their house. They have it on their notebooks. They have it on their water bottle. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, and that's part of swimming. It's very black and white with their times and stuff. You know, how do you, is that, is that harmful to have that stuff um, around or is it better to take like more of a broad range? Like I'm going to be the best I can be, or my goal is to get better and not, not completely wrap your head around like one specific object, which is really hard in our sport because there is goals. Like, we all have goals. Um, like what's the point where it's too far and where does having a broader range of things help keep you on the right path? Well, I think it depends on personality. I will say that, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, so many of my college clients, they're like, my coach wants me to come up with a time goal and I don't want to say it. Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't always think that's the healthiest route for some personalities. Again, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I think another huge piece of confidence is also knowing yourself really, really well. Right. And so if I create a goal, a time goal for myself, 
how does that make me feel? Is that bringing way more anxiety into my life or is that like motivation and knowing how does this affect me? But I will tell you that a lot of, you know, the athletes that I do work with where the personality is, no, I cannot do times. You know, we're not going to lie to ourselves and not say we don't have an expectation of what time we want to go, right? Because they, oh, no, I don't have a time goal. Yeah, right. You have it in your head. So let's be real about that. But let's focus way more on what are the steps that I need to take to reach that goal? And so those, those little goals, you know, that's where I want them to put their focus instead of, you know, this time goal. Because I think with, you know, long-term kind of time goals and things like that, a lot of people, you know, you're supposed to take, you're supposed to take goals and you're supposed to put them in your hands and you're supposed to like take care of them and love them. And, you know, but a lot of times athletes, they're like this and it's like, ah, and, and what this is, is I have to go this time. I have to, I have to, I have to, a have to is very heavy on your shoulders as I, you know, if there is a have to, or a need to on your shoulders before you race, that is way too heavy to take in with you, you know, in, into the race get that half two off your shoulders and go, the only thing I have to do, I got to show up and I got to race hard. That's the only thing, right? Cause I, I have to do this time or I have to. And, and, you know, I see this with a lot of sophomores and juniors with colleges. Well, I have to go this time, for, you, you know, to get recruited. I have to, I have to, I have to, and, yeah. and it's ruining their careers mm-hmm. because it there's so much pressure. It absolutely. I have seen so many juniors that that ends up being their worst year because there's so much pressure of, I have to do this to go to the school that I want to. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell you how many kids who like junior year um, or even their senior year, first four months of the season, when they're trying to pick a college, they're swimming awful. And then as soon as they pick that school, they give their verbal. It's like the next meet after that. So much fun. They do great. Yep. (laughs) Yep. It's that pressure. Yep. No doubt about it. So what are things that coaches do that, that hurt confidence that we think helps build confidence? Like, you know, in our minds, we're like helping them. We're like, this is going to get them going, but we're, we're probably hurting our athletes more. Yeah. So I think, you know, the first place my head goes, and this is just because I deal with it. I'm, I, I don't think it's the biggest thing, but I see it a lot, especially with girls want to, if, you know, if I could say with coaches, like, don't do this with girls, do not compare, do not, do not compare period. Right. And what I mean by that is so often, if you take one of the girls on your team and you compare her to another girl on the team, you are ruining her confidence. Absolutely ruining. Okay. Because what that says, and this may not make sense to you, but it makes sense in our minds. What that says to her is, here's the golden child who does everything right. Here's me, who's the misfit. Here's me, who's not good enough. Here's me, my coach doesn't believe in me like he believes in her. That's the message that you are giving when you are comparing. I hear it all the time. If, you know, somebody's doing something great in practice and you're like, oh gosh, I want to say, you know, you should do it more like her. Uh Uh-uh. Grab a YouTube video of an Olympian and go, look how she does it. You know what I mean? If it is a teammate, no, because, you know, not only is that wrecking her self-esteem and her confidence, but it's also causing chaos between the two girls. I hear plenty of times like, you know, I feel like my coach, you know, is pitting us against each other. Like, 
like we don't have enough or like they don't have enough drama already going on in their lives like they need it at practice you know to have yeah. enemies and pitting and I hate it you know so that's the one that pops into my head right away when you say that specifically for girls and some guys too I, I, I shouldn't generalize like that um but I think another thing um is also when kids are nervous um shaming them for it you know hey I'm really nervous for this why I mean, you've worked hard. There's no reason to be, I mean, the shame, the shame that these kids feel for being nervous, the shame that they feel for being afraid, right? I mean, fear is such, you know, a huge part of holding people back, but a huge piece of that is the shame that they feel because of it. And then all of a sudden they start, you know, holding it in and they're not honest about it because, you know, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Or, you know, they're looking at me like I'm stupid that I'm, you know, that I'm nervous and things like, again, I hear that all the time. The more we can normalize it, you know, because, you know, I hate, I hate to break it to everybody, but there are no guarantees in sports. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there's that famous quote that says the only guarantees in life is that there are no guarantees. I mean, I wish I could say to kids, show up, work hard, do everything right. You'll get to reach every single one of your dreams. We know personally that's, you know, there's no guarantee. Does that put you in a better position? Absolutely. But when there's no guarantee, you know, when you've worked really hard and you're walking into a competition with no guarantees, that's scary. Why are we making it like they shouldn't be? It's scary. Let them be honest yeah. about it. Let them talk it out. Okay. You know, when somebody comes, oh, I'm super nervous. Okay. Well, what's going through your head right now? Let's talk it out. You know what I mean? And I know you don't have time and, you know, you know, and, and things like that, but going, Oh, you shouldn't be, or, Oh, Oh, something's wrong with me that I'm afraid. No, it's not. It's a, you know, totally fine. And then the third thing, cause I kind of always talk about these three things, but you know, the third thing is I think, and I know it's not just a swimming thing, but because I know this world so well, it's very easy as a coach Kids are dependent. Kids become dependent on coaches for their confidence, for, you know, for everything. Like, it's so easy for swimmers to be really dependent on their coach, right? And when coach is always telling you what to do, you trust coach more than you do yourself, okay? Yeah. I have, look... (laughs) I have college athletes who are asking their coach, what should I do for warm-up? What should I do for warm-up? I'm like, you're 20 years old. <laughs> like, of course you know what to do for warm-up, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, we need to teach these kids, they know their bodies better than anybody else in the world. They know themselves better than anybody else in the world. And they need to start to trust that. But because you know, here, I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do every single time. They never really learn to trust themselves. Does that make sense as I, yeah. No, that totally, you know, when I work with, you know, especially my female athletes, usually the first two to three months, they think I'm mad at them all the time, which my head coach, uh, my head coach is a female, Jenna Perky. She always tells me I need to smile more. And I try (laughs) (laughs) because my thinking face just looks generally mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so my, 
my fix for that is like, I'm pretty good at building relationships on the yeah. pool deck. I think I'm good at joking, talking um, before and after practice, getting kids out during them talking. But then um, I hate when I move a kid up to the next group and the coach tells me, yeah, they seem to be really struggling without you. And I'm like, ah, like, that's when I know, like, I went, I went too far with making sure they were having a good time on my group and thinking that I thought they were doing a good job and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, when you have a kid back, back to the nervous thing, when you have a kid who at a meet, and I have two questions about meets when it's right before a race and they're like, wow, I'm so nervous right now. Do you have a go-to line or a couple lines you give them? Well, I mean, I think, again, a lot of times they're nervous because their head is out in the future going through all the different scenarios. So I think maybe just saying, hey, what do you know now? I know I've worked really hard. I know I had a great set mm -hmm. on Thursday. I know, you know what I mean? And get them into the, and, and what can you control? Because truly- yeah, yes. Like get them to answer that question in their head, you know, to get them present and what, what can you control, you know, right now? Because again, part of the nervousness is also wanting to control the other seven people in the heat, wanting to control, you know, everything. What can you control in the moment? And, and truly, as I always say, there are two things you got to show up and you got to race at a hundred percent. That's the only thing you can do in that moment, right? There's no jet packs you can throw on to go faster in that moment. You got to show up, you got to race hard. That's something you do in practice. You know exactly how to do that and getting them, you know, to understand the thing they're in control of, they know how to do. Yeah. So, you know, my second question was about feedback, especially at swim meets. So my take, I try not to give too much feedback at meets only because I want us there at the meet, right? Like we're not really going to fix a whole lot at a swim meet. That's what right. practice is for. That's, right. that's my philosophy on that. Um, but sometimes I see the body language, especially of my female athletes, you know, and I might not necessarily say good job, but I'll be like, hey, this part was good. And we'll talk about what we need to fix at practice. And they kind of, they look a little defeated, like, like maybe they felt like I wasn't being completely honest with them. Um, what do you like, what do you think that is? Is it, is it, should I give them more feedback? Should I, um, I don't know, help, ask them what's bothering them about the race more. Does that make sense by the way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think of, uh, you know, the first question should be, how do you think you did, you know, or how, what, what do you think? Because again, that puts it in their court, right? That puts them becoming a little more independent, you know, of, Hey, let me actually think about this instead of depending on my coach to tell me in that yeah. moment. So I think that that's a good way to do it as well. But I also think, you know, kids want to know you care, you know? Yeah. And I think part of that feeling like they care is when, you know, you're talking to them and, and giving them feedback and, and things like that. So I think um, you're not always going to have time for that, but I, I do think a big piece of the feedback would be making them a little more independent on mm -hmm. and asking that question of how do you think you did? What could you do different next time? That kind of stuff makes them actually think about it instead of depending on you for all the answers. Yeah. So if, you know, that seems like a big, a big theme of all this, right? It's independence because it's, it's knowing yourself so that you can do a better job and also be in the moment and enjoy what you're doing 
what are some uh is there any like quick um activities you could do at practice or maybe something you could send a kid home with homework wise to help them get a little more of that that um in uh individualized like understanding themselves sure well i think you know I think a huge piece of kind of breaking free from needing coaches is also learning to um, give yourself credit. Um, let, let me let me say this. You know, what I notice with athletes is they're terrible at giving themselves any credit, right? You know, the hard workers out there, they have big goals. They're willing to work really hard to reach those goals, but they rarely give themselves any credit. And especially the higher you get, the more perfectionism comes into play. So if it's not perfect, it's not good enough, right? So you're never giving yourself any credit. So that's one piece of it. And then the second piece of it is almost every athlete out there and really probably every human out there, they can do 99 things right in practice and one thing wrong. And they're walking out only thinking about the one thing wrong, right? Yeah. A huge piece of confidence, a huge piece of independence is knowing that you've done the work to be prepared, right? But think about this. If you're never giving yourself any credit and you're only focused in on the slow stuff you're doing in practice, right? Those one or two things you do wrong, that's not a recipe for feeling prepared. And again, kids are dependent on you. Give me validation. Tell me I did enough. Tell me this. Tell me that. When you put it in their hands of, okay, it's your responsibility to give yourself credit for what you are doing. Right. And so like all of my clients keep a confidence journal, all of my clients after practice, they're writing down at least one thing that they did well in practice that day, because I'm not going to depend on my coach to remind me how much work I've done. I'm going to have it in front of my face Mm -hmm. with this journal, you know? So I think things like that as well, um, making sure that they're giving themselves credit Cause you know, I did this little experiment back in the day when I was still a, still a college coach, like, um, you know, I had these beads and I was like, you know, take one of these beads when you take a step toward your goal. And in the beginning, I also said, and if you see one of your teammates do something well, you can reward them with a bead. Well, what I noticed right away, everybody was giving them away to their friends. Nobody was taking them for themselves because we yeah. can always see what everybody else is doing. Well, we have no problem celebrating other people and how well they do athletes aren't giving themselves the credit. So really take, and and I changed the rules on them, you know, after that, that they had to take it for themselves because at the end of the day, confidence is their responsibility. Their confidence is their responsibility. And I think making that clear can be helpful as well. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's great. You know, we in practice with shout outs, like shout out something somebody else did well, um, partly because I do want the kids I do want the kids paying attention to their teammates only, only because I, I think it's good when you notice other people doing good things and giving somebody else a high five. Cause you know, I can give a kid a high five and say, good job. Yeah. But man, when your teammate two lanes away sure. says, Hey, I saw you crush that. Sure. That's, that's really powerful. But um, I'll probably alternate to like, what did you do? Well, I'll probably get less hands. You will like, guaranteed. But I, I know a couple college. Yep. A couple college coaches that have started doing that, like after practice and the shout outs, like, okay, we're going to change it to you're giving yourself one, you know? And it, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, takes time and it, and it takes, um, you know, learning 
to start giving yourself credit because it's so easy to give it to everybody else except yourself. Yeah, this question might be a little redundant on what we've talked about, but you know, we talked about things that you see coaches miss that kind of hurt confidence. Like when a coach really nails it on the head, like they're really helping their kids move forward. What are some things you've seen uh, coaches do? We've talked about um, asking them questions, um, but yeah. is there anything else you see um, coaches do a good job of to help build confidence in their athletes? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, let me, let me go back to, I, I think coaches put a lot of pressure on their own shoulders to give their kids confidence, but I'm a yeah. big believer that we can't really give kids confidence because each person it's their responsibility, right? We can validate, we can say nice things, but actually handing them confidence, I believe they're the only one that can do that. So taking that off your shoulders, but I do believe that you can create an environment where they can build their confidence. You know, you can, you can build a culture where they are, you know, becoming independent trusting themselves, you know, trusting themselves is a huge piece of confidence, but when you're giving them all the answers and here, do this for warm up, and here, you know, here, when, when they're dependent on you, they don't learn to trust themselves and you can't believe in yourself if you don't trust yourself. Yeah. So creating a culture of independence, you know, okay, you guys on this set, you can do this or this. I guarantee all the girls, what should I do? What should I do? Guarantee. Yeah. You're going to go, that's your choice. You know you better than anybody else in the world. You make that choice. So I think, you know, creating a culture where they're becoming independent athletes, they're learning to trust themselves um, and learning to give themselves credit and take responsibility for their own confidence. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you have helped kids uh, like talk to their parents or talk to their coaches, like, cause you're working with individuals and yeah. you're, you're not really working with the coach who's working with the kid. You're working with the, the, and not kid. I mean, college athletes, professional athletes. Um, what's your advice to them when they need to talk to their coach or their parent about like, Hey, this is, I feel like this is, I feel this is hurting my confidence at meets or at practice or in the sport when this yeah. happens. What, how yeah. do you, how do you walk a kid through that or an athlete? I mean, it is communication, you know, it is, you know, just really learning to communicate, really learning again, you know, you better than anybody else in the world, you know, what works for you and what doesn't work for you better than anybody else, you know, your body better than it. And you have to start communicating that, you know, I understand like when kids are younger, it's kind of scary, you know, to go to coach and stuff like that. But, you know, I work with, with, you know, older, older athletes for the most part, and they're still looking at coach up, you know, way up here as this ooh, scary adult. And then they're this little kid. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're 20 years old. Like let's have adult conversations. You know, yeah. I always say some of the best, when I was a college coach, some of the best meetings I ever had and meetings that, you know, were hard for me to listen to because they came in and put it to me. You know, they came in with like, note cards or bullet points. And, you know, cause when kids get nervous, they end up not, you know, kind of going off track and not saying what they want to say, Hey, here's my notes. I'm going in prepared. I'm going to make sure I'm saying everything that I need. So I think that that, you know, communication is a huge piece of it as well. Yeah. I mean, just, just talking is so good. You know, I wish, I wish my athletes talked to me a little more probably. And, you know, the one-on-ones you were talking about, I know we're talking a little more about female athletes, 
it's just as good with my male athletes when I pull them out during practice and yeah. they think they're in trouble. And when I ask a kid to hop out, I literally tell everybody around them, they're not in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody's looking at me like, oh, coach Mike called them out of the water. Um, yeah. But even those um, are our male athletes. I'm like, hey, how, you, how are you feeling about this set? How do you think you're doing? And then I usually sneak in a broader question. Like, what are you most nervous about this year mm. <laughs> in yeah. the middle of practice? Which is which that's been really good, especially for relationship building and, and them feeling good about that day and stuff. Absolutely. Um, is there anything, I don't know if you have an answer to this. Is there anything I'm not asking or is there anything that people completely miss about the confidence? Is there anything athletes usually completely miss about the confidence question? Well, just an email I got this morning. I, I, I'm going to start working with a new high school girl and her mom emailed me today and said, she's really reluctant to start doing this because she thinks getting help is weakness. Mm. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I think where a lot of athletes miss it is understanding this is not just a, Hey, let's go in and work hard at the pool. This is the nutrition. This is the confidence. This is the recovery, you know, this, you know, it's, it's so much bigger and asking for help is not weakness. It's having the courage to be honest with yourself and what you need and taking care of yourself. Well, how could that be weakness? So, yeah, yeah. I just finished reading a book. Um, and it was, it's basically about the power of words and the end of the book is like transformative words and help was one of them. You know, because when you like just verbally tell somebody or ask somebody or seek help, you're acknowledging that what you're doing is not enough or you don't know enough or, you know, you're not you're not where you need to be and you need somebody else. Like just asking for help is super powerful. Yeah. Um, and definitely not normal. though. Right. And and the crazy part about asking for help is, you know, in swimming, the kids that are struggling you know, it, the majority of it is revolving around fear. Okay. Well, why don't they want to ask for help here? (laughs) You know, it's, it's all, so let's take that step, you know, that first step forward and courage to do something about it. Do you think the saying, so we say this a lot, trust the process. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that saying can be kind of a cop-out sometimes? Like, if you are struggling or you're going through a rough patch and everybody around you is like, Hey, trust the process. Um, you know, can that be harmful to to the process they're in? Yeah. Yeah. So I believe if you truly trust the process, you should trust the process. If you don't are not trusting the process, you have to be honest about that. Right. So I think absolutely. If you're struggling again, have the courage, it takes courage to be honest with yourself. But another thing that I say, you know, with a lot of, you know, my swimmers is, you know, even when it comes to taper and things like that before a a big championship meet, right? Oh, just trust the process, trust the process. Well, when things aren't going the way they think, or they're like, oh gosh, like we're going way too, we're going down way too fast or, oh, we haven't gone down yet. Oh, just, just trust, just trust, just trust. Well, they don't. Right. Yeah. So when you get to a certain age, again, a huge piece of this is communication. And going, hey, I'm struggling with this. You know, like I'm nervous about this. Can you explain taper? Can you explain what the plan is? So I'm not sitting here doubting. 
Cause you can go, oh, I'm just going to trust coach. I'm just going to trust coach. And then you show up at conference and you're behind the blocks going, I know I didn't do what I needed to do. Yeah. You don't yep. trust coach. You don't trust the process. If you trust it, trust it, you know, and it's not always going to be pretty and there's going to be ups and downs. That's the reality of the process. But if you truly don't trust it, communicate, get honest with yourself, do something about it. Yeah. It seems like before you say trust the process, you need to say, do you trust the process? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, yes. Okay. Continue. Yes. No, you, we need to Let's talk, talk about this. Exactly. Yeah. I love yeah. That. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Okay. So kind of just to wrap this up, um, what is a recent like success story you've had with an athlete? By the way, I love your posts that are the texts you get from your athletes. Oh. That's, those are just, those are just awesome. I love that you share this because like we, those, those messages you get, we've had so many conversations with kids like that, or I get those messages from kids that are off in college now or something. And they're like, Hey, that stuff we worked on really paid off. So what's a, I don't know, what's a recent success story that you'd like to share? Um, well, my most recent Instagram post actually Tia um, Blomsterberg and I know I just totally messed up her name from Denmark um, she told me how to pronounce it and there's just no way <laughs> <laughs> so I'll Americanize it Blomsterberg anyway Tia um, you know we work together in the fall um, so much potential um, but just getting stuck you know in those in those pressure moments um, you know, the way I do things, it's, it's four calls. That's the only commitment I ask. Cause I feel like you can get a lot of information and change a lot, you know, in four calls, most people go more, but you know, that's all I ask. She did four calls and took that freaking information and ran with it. And, you know, just went the fastest time in the world, you know, in the tuner rest yep. at, at that meet in Denmark. So that's a huge one. Another post I have on Instagram that the D3 swimmer that I worked with this year, a senior, you know, instead of going, ah, I'll just get through my senior season and, you know, and be done was like, no, I want to make this great. Did the work we met, to, you know, every two weeks we met together. Um, oh man, she did the work. And, but it's not just those two weeks. Cause I offer like free calls before competition. She took advantage of all of that. Right. Uh, she was texting me during competitions, all the fears and just kind of finding some truth to it. She did the work, you know, had never made NCAAs senior year makes NCAAs. When do you ever hear somebody making NCAAs for the first time senior year? They're usually like, yeah. get me out of here ASAP. And then became an all American. Um, and I was just thinking about this this morning, a guy I work with a D one guy at his mid season invite, his mom, she had heard about me texts me and is like, my son is freaking out. He wants to quit swimming. Like he hates it so bad. He's been stuck for like a year and a half. So I get on the phone and I'm like, here's what I do. He said, okay, let's do it. So after that mid season, you know, we sat down and went through the four calls and, you know, did all, he did all the work, went all in and, you know, was at NCAAs for the first time, you know, this year. So yeah. when you're willing to do the work, you know, um, big things can happen. So it's been cool to watch. That's awesome. And then on a personal note, you know, watching Natalie Hines' story, um, yeah. being, being from COM is just super cool. I mean, yeah. it's just super cool. It's been great. I mean, it's amazing for her. Uh, and it's been cool to watch from the club side of it all. Awesome. Okay, Kristen, thank you so much for sitting thank down you. with me. Uh, what, um, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so just go to my website. It's Coach Kristen, um, Coach, C-H-R-I-S-T-E. 
N.com and all my info's on there. Great. Okay. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. That was just want to say thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you're looking for some resources to help you become a better swim coach, head over to my Instagram, click the link in my bio, and you'll see some awesome things I put together just for you, and they're free. Have a great day, and let's go be better coaches.